0: Hi there, and welcome to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and I wanna thank you so much for being here and being a proactive parent and getting the resources that you need to let your child live their most fulfilling and independent life possible. When my own son was diagnosed with autism, I was told to drug him and try behavioral therapies, and there was nothing else that we could do for him but manage his symptoms the rest of his life. But I didn't wanna do that. Fortunately, my background in craniosacral therapy of now 30 years let me know that the brain can and does heal but I didn't know that much about autism what I did know is that I didn't want to just mask the symptoms with dangerous drugs I wanted to find the causes and work with them naturally and fast forward it took me a decade and a lot of time and effort but today my son is no longer diagnosable with autism after being told it could not happen So I'm here to share with you valuable resources to save you the time and some of the expense that I had to spend to figure it out and to help you let your child lead to their best results possible. Every child's level of recovery is different, but we know that children who couldn't sleep through the night are sleeping now through the night and happily. Their immune systems are now strong where they were once sick all the time. Children who were nonverbal and their parents were told they could never speak are now speaking. Children who were getting D's and F's in school are getting A's and B's. And those that were so anxious all the time and couldn't sit still and and were uncomfortable in their own bodies are now calm and happy and relaxed. And they're leading fulfilling and independent lives with friends. This is what we want for our kids. So I'm here to share the resources with you so that you can get the best results for your child, the best possible. And you can start that right now with my free download of this top seven foods to eliminate beginning today of the top foods that are the most inflammatory and toxic that are contributing to those physical and behavioral symptoms of autism that your child is having, they're making his life uncomfortable. So you can get that right now at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash seven foods and feel free to share that with anybody you know who would be interested and I will also link to it in today's show notes. There's of course a lot more than diet, but this is something you could start doing today that will begin to reduce those symptoms. And I'm happy to share everything I can with you. So right now, let's dive into today's episode. Hi there and welcome. I am so glad you're here today I'm really excited we have a special guest with us uh, who will be tuning in any moment he's not here yet I'll give a a brief intro to him as well just want to make sure um, hopefully he's not having trouble getting in. Anyway, I'm Karen Thomas and this is Naturally Recovering Autism and thank you so much for being here again and being a proactive parent as always and getting the resources that you need to help your own child recover from their symptoms of autism. And we know that every child's level of recovery is different, but every child can improve, whether it's speech or their mood and their uh, ability to stay calm and relaxed or focus in a classroom. And uh, a lot of kids who were nonverbal are now speaking when parents were told they would never speak. When my own son was diagnosed with autism, which was 15 years ago now, I was told that I should drug him and try behavioral therapies and that there was nothing that we could do for him. But I didn't wanna do that. I wanted to make sure that I did everything I could to improve his quality of life. And I got a lot more than that. I definitely did that. But, uh, but all of my son's symptoms of autism today are gone due to my own research. And you've probably found, like I did, that the journey is challenging. There's a lot of information out there. Doctors don't always know the answers. And it pretty quickly can become just up to you to, um, to, to figure it all out. And so that's what I did. I realized that it was up to me. And I began researching and it took me a decade, but as I said, today, my son is no longer even diagnosable. He's now graduated college. He's happy. He's healthy. has great friends. And this is what can happen for a child and and anything's possible, but any improvement is worth your effort. And that's what we want to do is make sure that your child's getting their very, very best possible outcome because you, as their parent and caretaker, are able to know what to do for them. And I know there are adults that that tune in with autism who are working for themselves to improve their own health and calming anxiousness, better ability to focus and think. And there were kids that were getting Ds and Fs in classrooms who are now getting As and Bs. So, you know, anything can happen. Again, the nonverbal kids, many of them are speaking now. And so, this is really important to know that anything is possible and understanding if you know what to do and get the right steps that's and have a roadmap and support on the journey and that's what I provide and one of the things we're going to be talking about today is how much the gut affects the brain and I have Kieran Krishnan coming who is a microbiome gut expert I mean he's a, a truly an expert in this field and We'll be learning from him here soon. Hopefully he's on his way. He's a, a moment late, so I think he's coming here. But uh anyway, he, he will be joining us. Um, but make sure one of the things that we'll be getting into is talking about how much, you know, diet, of course, is a big piece of it. It's not everything because yes, there is more to do. There's detoxification, there are heavy metals and detoxifying those properly. There are co-infections like mold and lime and strep. All of these things are really important to be able to uh, to clear out of your child's system because they mimic the symptoms of autism or they cause the same things. Uh, aluminum, one of the heavy metals, is known to affect speech ability. Also using uh, the, the pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric syndrome. You've probably heard of PANS. That is another trigger for speech regression. And that's when the autoimmune, the immune system is attacking the brain. It's sort of an autoimmune reaction. And so you've got to be careful to do things very slowly. The very, very first step is shifting your child's diet. Now, I know a lot of, you know, you might be thinking, Karen, my child will not eat anything but the bad foods. But If you don't shift away from those foods and again yes you can do it slowly and it should be done slowly because they'll be detoxifying and you'll notice that their behaviors will increase as we sort of starve out the bad bacteria like candida overgrowth and when those toxins are released your child's body needs support on the journey so uh it's important to know that That the the detoxification pathway, its minerals and binders are important. And we're going to be talking about uh, a probiotic today because there's a lot of probiotics on the market. Many of them are really, really poor quality, as are many of the supplements on the market in general. And in my now 15 years of autism research, I have found some of the absolute best products out there to help you. Um, One of the things I want to offer you right now, which is the very first step, is shifting your child out of the bad foods and into more of the good foods. And again, it's a process. It'll take time, so be patient. Um, But you can get my my free uh, PDF download guide to the top seven foods to eliminate to quickly reduce your child's symptoms of autism. And that is at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash seven foods. And that's just the number seven and foods with no spaces in it. Because the toxins and the inflammation that these foods cause uh, will contribute to their gut staying ill and contribute to keeping them sick and not getting better. So it's a simple way to just start eliminating those foods and uh, wanted to make sure that uh, that you got that, that link there. And anything for today's show notes as well will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 115. This is episode number 115 and we're doing it live, which is exciting. And I see that Kieran has joined us. So let me add Kieran in. Hi, Kieran. Can you hear me? Okay. I cannot oh, sorry, mute. I'm
1: mute. Uh, how, how are you, Karen? Good. Now
0: we work yeah. with tech. Yeah. Uh, can you increase your volume a little bit? Or let me see if no mind's up.
1: You, yeah. Is, how does that sound? I don't know if I have a volume. Oh,
0: I know what oh. it is. I have my microphone. I'm going to unplug my good
1: microphone. <laughs> okay. Now say some. Testing, testing. Can you hear me? Okay. Oh, I can't hear you now all of a sudden. Oh, you're on mute. <laughs> looks like you're still on mute.
0: Okay. Now can you hear no. me? We're good now? Yes. All right. Good to love tech.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think we'll get it figured out. <laughs> it's so good to see you. You you as well. Yeah.
0: yeah. I'm yeah. excited to have you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is um really important, relevant topic as always. So I'm always happy to contribute or add value as much as I can. So thanks yeah. for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll let our listeners know a little bit about you too. We're very, very fortunate to have Karen with us. This is Karen Krishnan. He is a microbiologist, microbiome specialist. That means we're going to talk further. So you'll know what that means about the bugs in the gut basically, but how that all affects the brain and behaviors and your immune system and overall health and how much this contributes to the symptoms of autism, because there are so many things that our kids have. Like, poor focus or speech inability or their irritability, even anger and mood issues. All of these things really come from the gut. So we're going to be talking about that. Uh, Karen has over, let me see, it's over 18 years now of a strict research and development background and uh, has been involved with uh, clinical trials and probiotics and human microbiome studies and science uh, and uh, in the industry for... um, it says you've got seven other companion industries that you're involved in. I know that you've you've been involved in uh, also in the enzyme uh, arena as well, which we can talk about too, along with the probiotics because it all goes with the gut. But you also were in a lead in the development team for um, over a dozen human trials on uh, on enzymes as well for one of the world's largest suppliers of therapeutic enzymes. So. Kieran, you have an extensive background and I always love talking to you because I always know there is there there's always something more to learn. And uh, it's so important. So, you know, for the parents listening, maybe it would be good for us to start out even with the beginning like parents are thinking, well, what triggers this? What what are why would my child have an issue with their gut?
1: Yeah. You know, there's a number of factors um and and more often than not it's multifactorial. So, it's not Any one thing necessarily. Um, Just from a 30,000 foot view perspective and from a philosophical perspective, we'll start there and then we'll mention some very specific things that can impact your child's gut, your gut, and so on. Um, But from a philosophical standpoint, we are essentially a walking, talking rainforest, right? We've got a very specific, complex, and yet kind of tenacious uh, ecosystem that we're built by. Um, that, that exists in us, on us, and basically all around us. And we need these microbes that make up our ecosystem to function properly. We've, in fact, outsourced a huge amount of our biochemical and metabolic uh, you know, requirements to the microbes themselves. Uh, one example of that is just looking at our genetic elements. We've got somewhere around 22,000 functional genes. When you compare that to like an earthworm, that has 38,000 functional genes or so, You know, we are far less sophisticated in our own right than an earthworm is, right? But the reason why we can do what we do is because we've got over two and a half, three million microbial genes in our system. And so we count on them as this amazing reservoir of capacity and capability. And we've co-evolved with the microbes in and on us where we've now outsourced so many of our required functions to them and if they're not there or they are disrupted in some way, in uh, then they cannot reciprocate those needs back to us. And then we see it in many different symptomologies. And for the most part, you see it in virtually every chronic illness, every chronic illness that we deal with, metabolic syndrome, right? Diabetes, obesity, um, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, polycystic ovarian syndrome, all of these things, uh, cancers, all of these things can be tied back to some sort of disruption in our ecosystem. So the ecosystem is incredibly important. And the ecosystem is not necessarily designed to be resilient, because throughout the course of human evolution, it has evolved in a relatively microbial friendly world. Now we've taken this ecosystem, and we've put it in an antimicrobial world right? Everything around us is essentially antimicrobial, right? Most personal care products that we put on us, whether it's our shampoos our soaps, our mouthwashes or toothpaste, the water we drink is essentially antimicrobial because it's laced with chlorine, fluoride, and so on. Most of the food you eat is antimicrobial because it's got preservatives in it um, and it's got thing compounds in there designed to kill microbes. And of course, your environment itself, right? Having Roundup all over the place and other pesticides and herbicides, even the off-gassing from things like glues in your shoes, all of these things have a negative impact on microbes. So we have taken this beautiful microbial construct and we've put it in an antimicrobial world. So virtually everything in the modern world has a negative impact on the microbes. And then if you compound that with like a bigger um, series of impacts, like for example, your child is born and has to go through four or five courses of antibiotics in the first year dealing with things like ear infections and so on, that is kind of an overwhelming tsunami to really start moving the microbiome in the wrong direction, right? So those are the kinds of things that can really trigger um, an avalanche of dysfunction, but we're already sitting in a slowly boiling pot of dysfunction all the time. You know, So hopefully that wasn't too kind of weird and esoteric and made sense to people. But the, but the idea I want to really convey is that it's not just any one thing. It's everything around us, which means that every little thing you change has a, a purpose and an impact, right? So as we talk about solutions, it's not just do this or do this. It's going to be, let's start making lots of little changes. And all of those little changes will add up. Just like all those little things add up to really disrupting our system,
0: right? And parents being, you've got to be consistent too. You know, it. it there, there's so many, like I said, environmental toxins out there today. And I'll even link to an episode I did with Dr. Stephanie Senef on glyphosate, which is in Roundup. So, uh, for our listeners, they'll have a, a greater understanding of the the dangers of that. I, I was just in the store, a garden store, the other day, and it's it's we're in the U.S. and it's on every store aisle i was just like oh i can't. it's banned in other countries and they're actually spraying it on our our food our wheat crops and things like yeah. that so you know not only is it in your yard or if your neighbor's using it you're even inhaling it through your nostrils you're you're it, it's destroying the gut microbiome as you're saying
1: yeah you know and and we did a study on on the impact of, of roundup on um on a pediatric microbiome. It's not its not yet published a study, um, and but we're hoping to, to get it published here sometime soon. And it wasn't specifically on autism, so so it's, it's a bit of a um, correlative type of conclusion that we can come to. Um, but we know from studies on autism and what the gut looks like in kids uh, on the spectrum, there are certain characteristics that are key, right? So you see Diversity within the microbiome reducing measurably in kids on the spectrum. You also see an increase in the production of things like ammonia, or branch chain fatty acids, uh, or things like um, you know propionate. Higher levels of propionate being produced. So these are like characteristic dysfunctions that occur in the gut because of inputs from the outside. And so when we did this the study on a on a pristine three year old microbiome. Um, and we started adding in daily exposure to to Roundup, um, what we started seeing is that even as little as three weeks of exposure to what, at least in the US is considered safe, um, even three weeks of exposure started creating changes that was so dramatic that had those same characteristics. We started seeing a lowering in diversity an increase in ammonia production, an increase in branch chain uh, fatty acids. We started seeing a lowering of short chain fatty acids like butyrate. That's really important. you know. So all of these character ch- changes started to occur in a short period of time. And the crazy thing about it is we did this study in the UK at um, at um, King's College. And we wanted to use what the those researchers who had been studying Roundup and, and its effect for a long time, we wanted to use what they thought was the most egregious formula for Roundup, right? Because what you come to learn about it is the active ingredient glyphosate does have some impact, but it's nowhere close to the impact of the final commercial formula. When they take the glyphosate and they mix it with all the acids and all that to make it more bioavailable to the cells. And so what we found is the, the version of the formula that they wanted to test, which is the most egregious version, they could not find anywhere in Europe where they were trying to source it, not even in Eastern Europe and areas outside of the EU because it was banned everywhere. And so we just had someone walk into Home Depot in Florida and get it and uh, ship it over to, to the UK because the most egregious version we have at our garden stores, whereas it's banned in, in so much of the world.
0: Right. And what does that say? I mean, other countries are banning it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yet we're spraying it on our food crops. Mm-hmm. It's not only in our garden stores, it's everywhere. And yep. you gotta be careful again if your neighbor's using it, how you inhale it. And yeah, I mean, there are obviously corporate backgrounds that have strength you know, in the government and, uh, are having an effect, but w- what we can do is if we're knowledgeable about not using it and educating our neighbors, if they are, um, which we actually have done on our street, <laughs> we <laughs> have told them, you can take a, a gallon size container and pour vinegar and a little squirt of Dawn dishwashing liquid in it. And it does just the same job without hurting the environment or you. So, you know, it, it's, Pretty simple to, to have you know an alternate. People just don't know, and it's there was actually a um, a, a lawsuit that was uh, was won by a man who got got lymphoma from. Uh, using it uh, his family actually because I think he passed but it's it's known it's well-known But yeah. nobody seems to be doing anything about it seriously on a government level So we have to be educated as you know things like this are for so, you know Just not to use it and um, make sure that you're you're eating organic even then you have to be careful
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, it is a better choice. So if you can the more you can go organic the better um it's it's not foolproof of course but it's it's an improvement and again you know I, I think dramatic results can come out of lots of little improvements and and i think as you mentioned being consistent with those improvements is critical as well um and and the beauty of this all which to me is the biggest um you know reason for hope is that you know so much of this is an ecological issue within your system right it's not a foundational issue with your DNA. It's not necessarily a foundational issue with some sort of mechanism within your own cells that you can't control, you can't change. It's ecological, just like your garden is an ecological issue. And if your garden is is unkempt and and, um, actually goes through a process of becoming contaminated with weeds and all that, you know how to fix it. You can get in there and having some knowledge around gardening, you can actually fix it and revive your garden same thing that's going on in your gut right You you can revive the microbiome so the good news through all of this is that you have control you do have the ability to make a difference and and it's simple things it doesn't have to be anything too complicated and we'll talk about those
0: Right. Yeah. Things aren't just genetic and irreversible. They are reversible. Uh, a lot of the symptoms and they are symptoms come from an imbalance or a toxic overload or inflammation in the body. So uh, why don't we talk a little bit about, have you explain a little bit more about the microbiome and, you know, I know how much it does affect the brain, but maybe you could explain uh, how it does that.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, one of the first places where they even made this discovery of something called a gut brain axis was a study that was done in, uh, I think, in Cork, Ireland. And what they found was that when they raised mice, and these are called nobiotic mice because they are, um, these mice are sterile mice, right? So they're born, they're, they have all the faculties about them. They're, they're, there's no issue with them genetically. They're just born sterile, meaning they don't have any microbes in them. So they don't really have a microbiome. What they found is that as they raised mice without a microbiome, the mice exhibited, um, spectrum disorder like symptomology. so they became really um, antisocial. they you know backed away from other mice they didn't they weren't comfortable in social surroundings. They, they induced lots of repetitive behavior like the mice were found licking their paw over and over again right So they, they saw these similarities between behaviors that are seen in spectrum disorders and then mice that were raised without a microbiome. And so that's where this whole idea first came that, wait a minute, if the gut microbiome is compromised or even in this case doesn't exist, it seems to have an impact on the brain and thereby has an impact in behavior. Right. And then there's been numerous iterations of that kind of study where they've taken these nobiotic mice. So these are mice that uh, were raised without a microbiome. And then they take the microbiome of non ASD donors and then they implant it into the mice and the mice, you know, have normal mice-like behavior. And then they take microbiomes from ASD children and put it in the other group of mice. And those mice all express ASD-like symptoms, right? And then if they do the switcheroo, if they flip the microbiomes, then you see the symptoms go away. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of interesting connections that way. Um, And so then it started creating this notion that what's in your gut seems to impact your brain. And then of course it impacts your brain in such a way that the, that the impact can be seen through behavior. Um, so that's where this whole gut-brain access idea came from. Now, since then, we've gotten a little bit deeper into what exactly within the gut can have an impact on the brain. Now, the reason why the gut and the brain even are connected or have an impact is because of a number of factors where the gut actually has direct access to the brain. So one of those is through something called the vagus nerve. So your enteric nervous system, which is the nervous system that coats your entire digestive tract, that enteric nervous system is only second to the is second just to the brain in terms of nerve endings. You actually have more nerve endings in your digestive tract than you do in your spinal cord, right? So it's an incredibly dense, complicated uh, neurological organ, and that uh, that neurological organ is connected directly to the brain with the vagus nerve. And the microbes that exist in your gut have direct access into the uh, enteric nervous system and thereby direct access into the brain. So they can even, uh, they can actually produce neurotransmitters and other compounds in the gut that end up directly entering into your brain and affecting behavior. Now there's many good and bad examples of that. So some bad examples would be take campylobacter jejuni. It's a very common foodborne pathogen, right? It's probably the second most common poultry based uh, um, food poisoning that you can get. Now, one of the symptoms of Campylobacter infection is all the sudden panic and anxiety right? And it may, and it's in people that who've never experienced panic anxiety before, but you could eat a a contaminated piece of food or undercooked chicken, and then all of a sudden start having panic attacks. And the reason is the microbe sitting in there is actually creating neurotransmitters that it's sending through your enteric nervous system to your brain to make you feel that way. Now, why would that microbe do that? More than likely it's because one of the key factors that occurs when you feel very nervous or panic is you, lose, you have loose bowels, right? That's you, you lose your bowels. You lose control of your bowels. And microbes that infect your gut are trying to create diarrhea because what they're trying to do is get a kind of a flushing of other microbes in that space to mm. so have more real estate to compete for, for growth. So they just found a way to utilize that really deep gut-brain connection to create diarrhea in you. C. difficile, on the, uh, on the other hand, doesn't do that, right? C. difficile creates diarrhea in other ways. Um, and so same with staphylococcus and streptococcus. If you get infections with those, they'll create loose bowels the other ways, but campylobacter figure out a way to use the gut-brain axis. Um, so in the same way, your, your gut and your brain are also connectic- connected through your lymphatic system. Recently, in the last, I think it was three years, it was discovered that the brain actually has a very complex lymphatic system that wasn't known in the past, um, and so now what we see is that when things are are created in the lymphatic system, whether it's um, a- inflammatory compounds, you know, endotoxins from the gut microbiome, it can actually make its way into the brain. And affect the brain. And so you've got the neurological uh, the connection, the lymphatic connection, and then, of course, the blood connection. And there's lots of evidence showing that if your intestinal permeability is compromised and, and increased, meaning the barrier is compromised, so permeability is increased, it also affects the gut, sorry, the, the, the uh, uh, brain barrier as well, because the brain barrier and the gut barrier are both very similar structurally and are controlled by similar mechanisms. So when your gut is leaky, your brain tends to be leaky and it creates more opportunity for things that are found in your circulation to make its way into the brain. And there's connections with that specifically to spectrum disorders, right? So there's a number of ways a toxic dysfunctional gut can directly influence the brain And there's more and more studies coming out as it relates to spectrum disorders showing not only is that 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 is true, but they're now able to distinguish very specific things from the gut that seem to impact the brain. It's
0: interesting that uh, we can express leaky talk about leaky gut a little bit more here too to explain it to our listeners, but I'm thinking it's how interesting it is that when the gut becomes leaky, that the it's almost like the brain becomes leaky. So if you've got the blood brain barrier, which protects parts of the brain, some areas are not as protected, but the blood brain barrier then is going to have become sort of like a, a leaky barrier just if following what the gut will do. It's similar to that?
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there's some thought that it's kind of a continuous barrier system, uh, but leaky gut will lead to leaky brain. And there's there's enough evidence to point towards that now. Um, and we know that in spectrum disorders, especially if the brain is more susceptible to getting exposure to things in the blood, like endotoxins from the gut, that can have a negative impact on the brain itself. Now, in, uh, in adults, this can happen later on as well. And it, and it uh, has different effects. For example, um, endotoxins from the gut. And let me explain endotoxins for a second. So there's a, there's a whole group of bacteria within your gut called gram-negative bacteria. In fact, they make up maybe 60, 70% of the bacteria that live in your gut. And the natural factor within gram-negative bacteria is they produce something called an uh, endotoxin or LPS, as it's abbreviated, lipopolysaccharide. They make this endotoxin because it's a it's a really important tool in their cell membrane. It kind of sticks in their cell membrane and they use it for a number of things. But then when the bacteria die, this endotoxin can get released and it starts floating around in the lumen. The lumen is a tube part of your intestine, right? So if it stays in the lumen, it mostly gets pushed out with food and through defecation, and it's not an issue. But if your gut, if your gut membrane is leaky, then what can happen is that endotoxin can leak through and enter into your circulation. So that is uh, a condition called endotoxemia, which is an elevation in these endotoxins now in your blood, right? And that's perfectly measurable. Lots and lots of studies have been done on it, um, including studies by the American Diabetic Association, the uh, the NIH, World Health Organization, and so on. So big, big studies. The studies basically show that when this LPS compound is allowed to leak past the gut barrier into circulation, it can get into lots of different parts of the body, including into the brain. In adults, when it gets into the hippocampus, it can create inflammatory responses which starts the process of type 2 diabetes. It can actually completely disrupt your brain's ability to read your blood sugar levels. It's called central insulin resistance. The other ways it can get into the brain, it can interfere with serotonin binding. It can actually sit, it, it lodge itself in the dopamine receptors and interfere with dopamine binding it can actually get into the amygdala and hippocampus cause inflammation and create brain fog and create memory loss. Um, You know, so those are all of the pervasive things that this LPS can do. Now there's some evidence showing that that same kind of LPS will have an impact on eliciting inflammatory responses in the brain of children and those, and that inflammatory response can have neurodegradative degradative effects. Right, and that can stunt some of the neurological development that you need to have in that critical stage of life, which is you know, from zero to five, six years old. Um, so, so there's a lot of connection there with leaky gut, and then the endotoxemia. One of the one of the unfortunate things about it is it's 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 driven by leaky gut, right? Um, and when we talk about leaky gut, mind you, we're not talking about your entire digestive tract, all. 27, 28 feet of it being leaky. Typically, it starts with a tiny section, right? Mm -hmm. A few inches of your intestinal lining being leaky, and things can kind of leak through. The problem with it is as things are leaking through, they're creating an inflammatory response right at the lining of the gut, right? And that inflammatory response makes adjacent sections leaky. So over time, this one little area will start expanding and expanding. And then now you have bigger and bigger sections of your gut being leaky. That same phenomenon seems to exist in the brain as well. right? So, the, so a leakiness in the gut can create a number of, of dysfunctions in, in a child and in, in an adult as well. Number one, as as I mentioned, it drives the uh, influx of LPS, which can make its way into the brain and wreak havoc. Number two, it can create more and propagate more leakiness throughout the intestinal tract, and it can start stimulating the leakiness in the brain as well in the blood-brain barrier. Number three, when you've got this overt inflammatory immune response against that leaky section of the gut, it actually supports dysbiosis, meaning it supports the overgrowth of opportunistic organisms during that time. So just that leakiness in the gut alone can perpetuate a dysfunction in the microbiome, which then makes the microbiome even more leaky which then perpetuates more dysfunction in the microbiome, right? So it's a self-perpetuating cycle that just gets worse and worse and worse mm. over time. And that's why you see people who start off, and let's take adults for a moment because it's uh, it's easier to kind of identify with this. You see people that start off with one type of condition that seems to be associated with leaky gut, let, let's say uh, obesity. Um, and then that that kind of evolves into skin conditions like eczema, psoriasis, then it evolves into anxiety and then maybe depression and then reflux and all of these things. These are seemingly unrelated conditions when you look at it from symptomology and the parts of the body they affect, but they all have the same underlying leakiness in the gut that's driving them. And the same thing can occur in kids. You know, there's a reason why kids on the spectrum will have digestive issues, allergies, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Of course, behavioral symptomologies, but then skin disorders, all of these things that keep piling on because it's the same root cause that's not being addressed.
0: Right. Right. And the detoxification pathways need need to be supported during this whole process too, because it is quite the process. And we you mentioned a little bit about serotonin. I think it's important to to go into a little bit about serotonin and dopamine mm-hmm. being created in the gut; these neurotransmitters and how that can affect uh, the brain and our behaviors as well.
1: Yeah. Um, so we now we do know pretty definitively that more than ninety percent of the serotonin in the bodies actually produce in the gut, there's cells called EC cells or enterochromaffin cells that um, are stimulated by bacteria within the gut in order to produce serotonin. Now, not only is it that those cells produce serotonin, but most of the precursors to the production of serotonin also come from the gut microbes, right? So you need gut microbes to stimulate the serotonin-producing cells to make serotonin, but in order for those cells to make it, it needs certain precursors like tryptophan or it needs uh, bile and bile is actually a really important component of serotonin metab or synthesis, right? So you could have a dysfunction in any number of those components within your microbiome, and it would completely compromise serotonin production. So you could have a um, a dysfunction in the microbes that that uh, make tryptophan, or you can have a dysfunction in microbes like Blausha, which is a small intestinal bacteria which compromises. If you don't have enough, it compromises bile flow, um, or you can you can have a dysfunction in spore-forming organisms in the gut, which are the ones that trigger the production of serotonin. So you you count on microbes for every step of the process in making serotonin, and we do know studies that serotonin deficiencies and imbalances are associated with with spectrum like uh, disorders Mm -hmm. right so and and of course in adults the same thing is expressed as um, anxiety depression and so on Mm -hmm. you know and so um you know it's the same root cause in a child it it because the child's neurological development is so active at that point this this phenomenon of of leaky gut dysbiosis uh, will manifest itself as a spectrum disorder because it, it, it attenuates some of the neurological development. But in a in an adult whose neurological development is complete, it shows up as anxiety, depression, and other behaviors. Right. So it's but it's the same underlying root cause.
0: Right. And that's why I always say sometimes a leaf doesn't fall too far from the tree. Like a parent might see a lot of their the things that they experience on a a different level. They might exp- they might live with some extra anxiousness or even have anxiety or depression and then their child might have it to an extreme level because these things some of them these microbes and some of these issues oh, candida overgrowth which which can cause a lot of the inflammation some of this is inherited in utero as mm-hmm. well as the heavy metals and other toxins that a mom might have in her body or be exposed to while she's pregnant so then the baby's born with more susceptibilities already because all of these things create the inflammation just like i mentioned before you came on, I have a seven foods guide and um, I'm going to make sure everybody listening, please go get that at autism.com forward slash seven foods. It's like the top seven foods to start eliminating to help reduce the toxic overload and the inflammation um, just as a place to begin, because it's a slow process. A child will literally be addicted to the foods that are causing them harm due to opiates and things like gluten and casein, dairy and, and wheat, and then also... Uh, due to the candida and other bacteria that thrive on sugars, and even processed carbohydrates create sugars. So you know the, there are various things that if you, you you've got to do it really slowly. Parents start you know freaking out. <laughs> like oh, my child is all they'll eat. There's no way I get to eat their diet because you know how hard it is. Yeah. But you agree, yes, so that they can hear you say it as well. It is necessary to shift away from those foods.
1: Yep. <laughs> it, oh my god yeah it, it's absolutely necessary so the thing that impacts your microbiome the most is what you eat right so food has the biggest impact on your microbiome and it has some of the most rapid impact on your microbiome so not only is it in scale the thing that influences the microbiome the most but in in terms of speed as well right so if you start making small changes to your child's diet and of course, you should make those changes concurrently to your diet as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you start making, and I'll I'll explain why that is so important. And, and there's a there's an angle, and I've uh, fortunately been able to speak at a number of autism shows, like Autism One, a number of years in a row, and I've gotten to meet a lot of uh, parents who are uh, working with kids on the spectrum. And so, um, one of the things I recognize is a which is a missing link in in to me in making significant improvement is all of the attention and effort the parent is putting on the child to improve things within the child, they are at the same time allowing themselves mm-hmm. to kind of fall apart, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their habits, their diet, all of those things. Now, why is that important? Well, um, there's something called a microbiome cloud that we all live in within our own households, right? And, and negative microbiomes have a huge impact on other individuals within the home. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. There was a study published out of Johns Hopkins University that showed that, uh, and what they were doing is they were following individuals who were starting a course of antibiotics, right? So they these individuals were diagnosed with whatever condition and they were prescribed a course of antibiotics. And prior to them picking up the antibiotics at the hospital pharmacy and starting it, what the, what the researchers did would grab those individuals, take two or three stool samples to kind of map out what their microbiome looks like at the moment. And then they started taking stool samples while they're on the antibiotics. And then again, for every month up to six months after they're finished with the antibiotic, right? And what they saw would no surprise at all to any of us is that there's a huge signature change in their microbiome once they start taking the antibiotic and that signature change, which is not a positive change, was, was present even six months after finishing the antibiotic, right? Now, what was super surprising about that study is they also did the same analysis on individuals that lived in the household with that person who were not taking antibiotics. So your roommate or your spouse or your brother or sister who were not on the antibiotic, they measured their that person's microbiome before and during and after as well. And they found that they, the, the non, um, non-intimate partners in the home also had the same type of dysfunction occurring in their gut, right? Mm-hmm. Even though they're not even taking the antibiotic. So, so you have a huge influence as a parent on your child's microbiome. And if you're allowing your microbiome to, to start getting disrupted and falter, then all of the progress you're trying to make with your child your microbiome will have a negative influence on his or her uh, outcomes, right? So that is really important to keep in mind that everything you do for them, you have to do some of these things for yourself as well. You know, you have to take, like if you're giving them a probiotic and prebiotic to help their microbiome, you better be taking that probiotic and prebiotic as well, right? Um, Your life is incredibly busy and stressful. You need to be working on mindfulness. When you have time, you know, whether it's a five minute meditation once a day, whatever it may be, that little bit that you can do, because stress will create the most leaky gut. Leaky gut will create more overgrowth of opportunistic organisms. That opportunistic organism growth will create more leaky gut, and then you'll transfer a lot of those microbes towards your child. So there's a lot of connections here that you have to be aware of. Um, And kind of going back to what we were talking about food, I went on a massive tangent. Uh, from your from your simple question about food, but uh, but that that is one of the reasons why. So food is so important. Making small changes in your child's diet. I know if there's a favorite snack or something that you know is a go to to make them feel better, it's going to be really hard to rip that out of their daily routine, right? But that doesn't mean you can't try to add something in in addition to that to kind of undo whatever negative effect that one food has, right? So add in a little bit of a prebiotic food, add in a a fruit or vegetable, small amount of it that has good amount of fiber in it. And of course, everything you do that's positive for them, try to do some of that for yourself.
0: Yeah, I always tell parents who work with it, we pass things around the family that it's really about the whole family getting healthy. Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of people are still sharing drinks, you're sharing food, and you're, you're passing that saliva directly to one another, you're doing that. And, you know, you're doing all this great work for your child with autism, maybe, or your child, either way, and if you're not doing it for yourself, you're just going to keep passing it back and forth. So yep. you You've got to do make the changes for yourself. And then you can see how making those changes in your diet is for you as well. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: and, and especially if there's siblings involved, right? Where you have yeah. one sibling on the spectrum and one not. Obviously, the sibling on the spectrum gets a lot more attention because it's needed. Um, you know, and, and then this the sibling that's not on the spectrum will get less attention. And you may be heavily focused on that sibling's diet and all that while while the non-spectrum sibling is just doing whatever he or she normally does, right? like normal like a kid would normally do, eating all the worst stuff and all the things that I battle with my kids on all the time. But if one if the non-spectrum siblings microbiome is continues to be disrupted because of, of, of lack of beneficial things entering their system, it will impact the, the sibling that's on the spectrum. So exactly like you said, it, it's a family effort. Uh, and changes need to be made all around because that improves the ecosystem of the home. Uh, and, uh, you know, the simple thing that you can do also is like bring in a dog, right? Mm-hmm. There's studies that show that dogs, if you can do it, of course, not everyone can, can bring a dog in depending on where you live and so on. Um, but bringing in a dog actually improves the ecosystem within the home. Um, and and in fact, households with dogs have children with much lower incidence rates of allergies and asthma and viral infections. Uh, a study published in early 2020 showed that bringing in a dog actually increased the lifespan of the, of the uh, residents within the household bec- it, for a couple of reasons. One is, of course, the emotional bonding is, is really healthy, that oxytocin and all that that gets released. Um, the other aspect of it is just the microbes that the dog brings in. To the, to the household, right? And the more microbes, the better. There are a couple other things, um, you know, to, as, because we're on the topic of household ecosystems. Um, not sterilizing the home. That's a really important aspect of it, right? Study shows that households that use chlorine-based cleaners have kids with higher incidence rates of asthma and high incidence rates of viral infection. Sterilizing your home can be extremely detrimental to the child's microbiome, immune system, neurological system, and all of that. So there are certain parts of the house maybe you need to sterilize like the toilet. If you need to use a really hardcore toilet cleaner every once in a while to clean it, totally fine. But most surfaces on the home do not need to be sterilized. I Most of our surfaces at, our, at my house are cleaned with a, a spray bottle of water. And we add a couple of drops of essential oil just for some smell and that's how it gets wiped down. Of course, if you bring a raw chicken and sit it on your counter and you're cutting a raw chicken, you want to sterilize it with some Clorox wipes or something, get rid of the salmonella. But for the most part, you shouldn't be sterilizing your home. That has a huge impact on the ecosystem in your home and then the health of each individual. Um, If, depending on where you live, if the more you can have your doors and windows open, throughout the day, it can actually have a huge positive impact on, on the microbiome of those that live in the home. And then of course the home's ecosystem as well. The more you get outside microbes coming in, uh, the better off you are. Um, there's, there's lots of studies on gardening now, how gardening and getting your hands in the soil actually start to improve your microbiome and increase growth of bacteria like Mycobacterium MVK. Mycobacterium MVK actually increases serotonin production dramatically. And so if you're working with your child, let's get the child in the dirt, in the garden with you, right? Start planting, digging, looking for worms, whatever it may be. Um, and that has a huge impact on the microbiome. So a few little things like that as you go along that you add in will have a dramatic impact.
0: Right. Having your hands in the earth anyway is very, very therapeutic. And I love that you mentioned mindset a few minutes ago too, because people don't think so much about stress and how how much it affects us. And of course, our child, especially if they have autism and they have this toxic inflamed overload, then that stresses out the internal system anyway. So they're very stressed, but being a parent of a child with autism is an extremely stressful you know, place to be in. And it, it can be on a daily basis. So parents have to take care of themselves that way. And also during COVID right now, you're mentioning the sterilization. Everybody is constantly sterilizing everything and, and, you know, hand sanitizer that's filled with alcohol all over their hands. And it will be interesting, you know, and even in the future, even in six months, a year from now to see what kind of impact that is having on our microbiome from all of this constant sterilizing of everything in our lives.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, one of the things we've come to know now, now that we know more about COVID versus in the beginning of 2020 is in fact that fomite transfer fomite is ina- inanimate object transfer is not really a major vector for the for the for the virus right so um, i know we have you know compared to what we were like in let's say march of 2020 where we were very concerned about well how does this virus transfer is it on every doorknob is it on the packages that you get in from Amazon and places like that? Um, you know those were all concerns. is it on your groceries? you know do you have to sterilize everything you touch? Now we come to know and this is through work done by the CDC and so on that that's not so much of a risk. So maybe we can go back towards more normal sanitation procedures and ster- you know um, worse versus going overboard. Uh, because that going overboard will have a huge impact on your microbiome. and and I'm sure that's part of what is gonna drive an increase number of cases of things like anxiety, depression, and all that that you know has, has occurred over the course of the pandemic. Um so yeah, I think we want to start becoming more reasonable with that. Uh, I understand people are nervous and and of course, if you're outside and you you're touching things and all that, you want to clean your hands and I can respect that and understand that. but, uh, but we, we want to be con- conscious about kind of going back to normal practice mm-hmm. on, uh, on that kind of hygiene. You know,
0: right. Yeah, doing your best, but not, like you said, overboard, especially with the constant okay. sterilizing of the hands. The alcohol is absorbing into your skin as well. So you're absorbing alcohol when you do that, too. So there are some good essential oils, as you mentioned, that, that can yeah. be effective that are not as harmful to your system as well. Um, and you mentioned some foods so we can, we can talk too about, uh, so, so let's, let's talk a little bit about this, the probiotics. So, um, I've done a lot of research too, over my years with recovering my own son, and there are so many, honestly, poor products on the market mm-hmm. and they don't withstand the body temperature or they don't have the right strains or there you know, there are various things to that. So why don't we talk a little bit about it? And I want to always caution parents with food, diet cha- dietary changes, and with probiotics, you want to move very slowly forward because there will be something called die-off where the bad bacteria or the overgrowth, as it starts to die, it's a living organism that will literally die and then it releases more toxins. So you'll see heightened behaviors, could be flu-like symptoms, headaches, uh, could be a lot of different things going on there. So again, uh, binders, minerals, things to support the detoxification pathways But when you add in a probiotic, as we'll start talking about, the one that Karen is involved with, and I'm gonna give you a coupon code today. It's actually KAREN15. So you can get 15% off of this product too. I highly recommend it. I do not recommend every product out there. I've done my research too. So I am here with Karen because I believe in this product. And but I do want you to know to move forward slowly with it because there are parents sometimes will start a quality product and then if your child has die-off symptoms or problems with their with behavior, oh, that didn't work for my child. It made them worse. It's not making them worse. It's helping, but too quickly. So, Karen, why don't you go ahead with explaining more about that? And why describe probiotic the spore forming? Because that's really important with what you have too.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I started working on probiotics specifically, and especially from a microbiologist's perspective on probiotics about a decade ago. And the whole the, the whole focus that I had was um, you know, a probiotic, in order for it to be truly beneficial and effective in any way at all, it has to have an influence on the rest of the microbiome, right? Because we're talking about a sea of 40 trillion plus organisms in this system. And if you take a probiotic, even if it's quote unquote, a high dose probiotic, a hundred billion CFU, it sounds like a lot, but when you put a hundred billion CFUs into a sea of 40 trillion, it's a a drop in an ocean, right? And so if what you're counting on is those hundred billion bacteria doing some sort of metabolic function to impact your health the function is going to be completely lost the moment that bacteria gets into the microbiome because the microbiome is so massive right? Uh, when it comes to to number of microbes and bacteria. And so the whole idea is that for any probiotic to have truly profound effects, it has to have the ability to make a sea of change within the microbiome itself like the probiotic itself has to act as an orchestrator for change whereby it impacts change within the rest of the 40 trillion organisms. Because if you cannot change something about the rest of those 40 trillion organisms, you really won't realize any sort of benefit. So what was so interesting to us about the spores, number one was their ability to survive through the gastric system, right? That that was a given. Uh, We started off our probiotic research by taking some of the top, top 40 probiotics on the market, and we tested them for survival through the gastric system. And we found the vast majority of them mostly died in the stomach. So if they're dying in the stomach, they're not making it to the intestines alive, then they're really not functioning as a probiotic per the scientific definition of probiotic, which is a live microorganism, right? So that was step one. We said, okay, the spores get through the gastric system, they survive past the stomach acid, they survive past the bile salts. they get to the intestines alive, that's great. Now, can they influence the rest of the microbiome? Can they act as the provocateur of the microbiome for change? And sure enough, that's what they do. They are kind of like the SEAL Team 6 being sent in, highly specialized, they have a way of detecting problematic microbes, uh, that something called quorum sensing. They'll sit next to problematic microbes and they'll bring down their growth. They'll also produce a number of compounds that increase the growth of your important beneficial bacteria, including keystone bacteria like Bifidobacterium longum, Bifidobacterium adolescentes, Fecalum bacteria prosnitsi, Acromantia mucinophila. All of these are really important keystone protective bacteria that have a huge impact on people's metabolism, immune system, gut lining and so on. The spores, when they're in your system, dramatically increase the growth of those microbes. The spores also start to produce lots of butyrate uh, and butyrate is really important for healing of the lining of the gut and also bringing down the inflammatory type of processes that are going on in the gut and systemically as well. So they do all of these really fundamental things that change the microbiome. And so the very first study that we did on it was we hypothesized that if it can do all those changes, it's got to be resolving leaky gut. And sure enough, the first study we did and published was a study on leaky gut showing that in as little as 30 days, we were able to dramatically reduce the leakiness and the permeability in the gut lining. And that LPS, remember that endotoxin I talked about that leaks through, ends up in all these areas, including the brain and so on. That's what we were measuring as success. We were looking at from day one to day 30 of taking the probiotic compared to a placebo group. Were we able to reduce the amount of that endotoxin entering the blood in circulation? And we were able to reduce it by over 60% in that 30-day period. And that's without changing anything else. No, oh, that's what I was going to ask. Wow, yeah. really? That's without changing diet, behavior, stress, anything. Those were in college students and they had some crazy amounts of leaky sure. gut. Which was, which was amazing to see. 55% of them had what we would call clinical endotoxemia or severe mm-hmm. leaky gut. Um, and and of course, you know, college kids are not doing anything good for themselves in that 30-day period, right? They're still stressed. They're going out and drinking. They're eating fast food all the time, you know, all of those things. And yet in that 30-day period of just taking the probiotic once a day, that leakiness in the gut and, and all of the associated markers of leakiness that's all these inflammatory markers and so on all came down quite dramatically so that's what made us so excited about the spores because it's clear that they're surviving they're getting to the intestines alive they function when they're there and then they're affecting a sea of change in the rest of the microbiome and the benefit of that is that everything else that you do from that point on, the diet changes, the lifestyle changes, all of those other things will have a more profound effect because you have a healthier and better microbiome to utilize and appreciate those changes. Right. So as you're changing your diet, as you're adding small fiber rich foods or resistant starch rich foods and things like that, if you're also improving your microbiome at the same time, you're actually going to see a, a more profound effect of those changes.
0: Right. Uh, and Joanne, you're asking what probiotic it is that we were, we were talking about. Everybody's saying, this is great. Um, it's, uh, it's called Just Thrive. And if you go to justthrivehealth.com, and I will link to it in the show notes. But there's also a discount that you can get with my code. It's my name, Karen, K-A-R-E-N, 15, with no spaces. So Karen15 as the code will give you 15% off of the product as well. But it's justthrivehealth.com. And again, I will link to it, the show notes uh, and this replay, because I know some people had to work and could see all of it. The show notes and the replay will be put uh, on my, my website at autism.com forward slash 115, 115. So uh, you can come and get the links uh, once this is downloaded and we're able to get it um, onto the page. Uh, we'll add all the links and you'll have access to all of this information we're talking about again. Just to make sure nobody misses it, you're welcome because yeah, this is great. And, and somebody asked earlier a little bit about antibiotics. You're correct. Uh, Yolene says that if you take antibiotics, it's good to know they're not discriminatory about just fighting and beating off the old, the bad bacteria. They take the good with yeah. it. So then you're depleted again. So then restoration is much is very very important as well.
1: Yeah, because not only not only do the antibiotics actually deplete microbes in a profound way, they actually change the biochemistry of the gut. In, in such a way that it actually perpetuates things like leakiness in the gut, right? And we saw that in one of the studies we did and published in August of um, 2019, where we showed that once once the m- gut and microbiome is exposed to my, uh, antibiotics for seven days, it completely changes the confirmation of what the microbiome looks like, and it leans it more towards kind of an inflammatory, leaky gut. And, um, and then the, our big question was, can we recover the microbiome after that? can we get it back to its homeostatic and normal state? And we were using the spore probiotic in that case, um, it, the Just Thrive, in order to see if we can actually start backtracking some of that damage, and we were absolutely able to do that. So um, so that's the exciting part about it too, is if you have to take an antibiotic, or you are taking one, or you have taken one over the last, let's say, two years, um, you'd wanna get on the probiotic because you wanna start kind of backtracking some of that, some of that change that occurred.
0: Yeah, there's, there, there's a lot of reorganization that goes on. And um, we've put the, uh, the website, the URL, the address, and the code in the chat box for anybody here. So you can now um, go and access it there as well. Um, it's available to you. Um, because, it, and as I mentioned earlier, going slowly, um, that you could even start with a half of a capsule. It's mm-hmm. everything I usually look at, it, you know, our, our kids, especially if, if you're dealing with a small child can't swallow a pill, so powder, liquid, or capsule form, but capsules can be opened up. So Just Thrive comes in a capsule form. So if you uh, wanted to start with half of a capsule, you can open it up and Just Thrive is one of the probiotics that they like you to mix it in with food because it then gets the prebiotic from the food. So if it's easier to get into your child that way, or you can pour half a capsule into a little water or anything they'll drink, uh, just to get it in them, but maybe start with a half a capsule and then watch their behaviors. And if, they, if they're they doing well, then you can give them a whole one the next day or so. But I always say to start out slow with a little bit lower dosage and then titrate up slowly so that you don't end up with a child who just, you know, gets really behavioral and everybody's life gets a little bit chaotic.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Small, small incremental changes um, will will absolutely lead to positive outcomes. So so that's a that's really important advice on taking it slow.
0: I'm trying to think if we've missed anything important. Is there anything else that you'd like to add, um, Karen, uh, to, to this as well? It's, it's been very, very informative and everybody's loving it. So, um, you know, I just mentioned how to take it. Some people say it's hard to take and, uh, and so it, you know, there are ways to mix it in with food or beverage. Um, is there anything else that, that uh, you think is important for parents to know just in general about the microbiome or behaviors or, you mm-hmm. know,
1: things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, keep an eye out. We'll, hopefully we'll keep doing these kind of interviews because there's a lot of research coming out on spectrum disorders. One of the most recent things that they're looking at is the fecal transplant mm-hmm. option. You know, uh, if that proves to be positive in a research uh, condition. It'll, it'll be a little bit more complicated to do that commercially. But what that tells you is that changes in the microbiome can have a huge impact on behavior and, and of course, uh, symptoms associated with spectrum disorders. Um, but I, I think my two biggest messages all the time to parents uh, would be, one, that there's lots and lots and lots of hope. Um, I know you know parents who are, who, are uh, who have kids on the spectrum are are constantly trying lots of things. You're so dedicated to improving their outcome. Um, you've tried lots and lots of things. I'm guessing the vast majority of things you've tried haven't really brought that kind of success you expected. Um, and it's very easy to lose lose some sense of hope through all of that. And and that is something that. Um, I, I would love for you to gain back because there's so much good research coming out on the microbiome. As you make changes to the microbiome, you will see significant changes in your child in in ways that will be quite profound to you. Um, and so that's message number one: is there is a lot of hope. Um, you know, stay tuned. You know, stay positive. Keep trying. Keep doing small things to improve the microbiome. The things we talked about today, um, and, and and it'll provide um, you know some some uh, real good progress. The second message, and this is what we already talked about before, is you have to take care of yourself. In a very similar way as well. Not, not only is that you know good for you, obviously, but it does your your microbiome has a huge impact on your child's microbiome. So everything you're doing for them and all the knowledge you're gaining about fixing the microbiome, make sure you're doing all that stuff for yourself as well. Because what you don't want is to keep taking two steps forward and one step back, mm-hmm. right? So um, that one step back can often be driven by what your body and your biome is adding into. The, uh, the mixture, um, It's a lot of this can be pretty complex, but just keep in mind your microbiome matters as well. So make sure you're trying to take care of yourself to a certain degree. So yeah. those two important messages in mind, I think uh, that's, that's something for, a lot for people to quote unquote digest.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and never give up. I, I, when my son was diagnosed with autism, I was told to drug him. And tried behavioral therapies and good luck. There was nothing we could do for him. And fortunately, I have a background in craniosacral therapy, studying the brain of 30 years now. So I knew the brain could heal, but I didn't know that much about autism. So I began my own research and I quickly found that the doctors didn't have the answers and that there, were just, there was just such a mass of information out there to, to sift through to figure it out. Well, fast forward, it's been 15 years now. It took me about a decade, but my son today is fully recovered. He's not even diagnosable anymore. He's graduated college. I know it's—it's it's, that's why everybody's level of recovery is different, and I always like to, to say that, but your child can improve. And because I know the challenges, and I've spent the money and the time and done the research and continue to with experts like Kieran that I have created my unique online membership program. And it's in over 40 countries already, parents successfully using it because you need an A to Z roadmap with the right supplements that are natural and safe and that have been well-researched and know how to use that roadmap with support. And so I mentioned my seven foods guide. If you get the seven foods guide, we will, send you a, a, a link to invite you to uh, watch a free webinar that will explain more of the four stages the whole process to recovery uh in a nutshell as best i can in an hour uh, 45 minute webinar and at the end of that we will offer you a link to that's a just a, a short-term limited time link to join the program if you have interest in that because I don't want to leave you hanging. I know how hard it is to be on this journey and what kind of support is necessary, and to have an actual roadmap and somebody who has done the research on the supplements. Because I can't even count how many probiotics are on the market, and so many of them just are not even worth your your money. And you're out there spending your time and your money on things that aren't really working or not knowing how to use things or utilize things or what else to do. Um, So that that is really important. And we'll link to that in the show notes will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 115. And I'll also again link to the Just Thrive probiotic and the the coupon code and the seven foods guide. Uh, The direct link will be on that page. but It's also naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash seven foods and the number seven and foods with no spaces in between. So I hope all of this has been really, really helpful for you. And I, uh, again, Kieran, thank you so much for being here with us. I really appreciate your time and your expertise. Um, You're so uh, informative and just so great to talk to you all the time. I always learn something new from you. It's
1: wonderful. So thanks again for being here. Of course, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I look forward to next time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely do it again. Keep everybody informed as best we can, because I think you know, as we all know, education is the key. The more you know, the more you know what you can do, and knowledge really does empower you. Versus feeling just you know lost out there in the in the you know the abyss of all the things that there are to sift through. You know, how are you supposed to know? You know, and it takes a long time to figure it out. So we're happy to help. And uh, again, thanks again, Kieran, Appreciate it. Thank you to everyone who uh, is here today too. Uh, really appreciate it and um, we'll, we'll be in touch and hopefully um, we'll see you too. I do a weekly podcast, so make sure that you tune in as well. And um, we'll see you then. All right, thanks. Thanks again.